it's a plant that has incredible medicinal properties, does incredible things physically to the body, but even more than that, has this incredible spirit and consciousness and energy and way of shifting our consciousness. Hmm. So we work with the blue Lotus. She is a consciousness shifter. So our nervous system begins to shift and we get out of that beta brain waves. The like, and then I have to do this and everything softens and our creativity opens and our consciousness expands. Welcome to the Wild Herbs Podcast, where we unpack and uncover the healing properties of wild herbs so you can heal naturally with the plants beneath your feet. I am your host, April Puncelon, botanist and ethnobotanist and herbalist dedicated to teaching you how to heal with plants. If you want to learn edible and medicinal plants, you are in the right place, my friend. So today I have a real special treat for you. I'm interviewing Marisha Marinaska. And Marisha is a earth activist, a green witch, a teacher, an author, a folk herbalist and healer rooted in the wise woman tradition. And she's here with us today to talk about the winter portal and how we can enter into this season in a more holy way and how we can live consciously during the season. And also she's going to tell you about her experience with Blue Lotus, connecting with Blue Lotus. So thank you so much, Marisha, for your time and energy. I'm so happy to be here. Welcome everyone. <laughs> Yay. So when did you first realize that you were a medicine woman or a witch, whatever one resonates with you more? Uh, medicine woman or witch, when did you realize that you were a green witch? Yeah, well, I was thinking about this question and I'm, I'm so glad you sent it to me to think about because when I first read it, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't remember. I think often when we're on this path, you know, it can feel like it's always been this way. Um, and then there are so many ways that we might actually connect to the archetype of witch or healer or herbalist without the intellectual part of us naming it, you know? So that's really valuable too. But when I thought about it more, I think a really pivotal time for me, when I came into identifying as a witch and realizing that I was a witch was in Vermont in my early twenties. Um, I arrived to Vermont pretty burnt out from trying to, to be in the field of architecture. And um, it was a very patriarchal, um, very kind of, you know, push driven, um, linear field to be in. And, and I came to the Northeast kingdom of Vermont, which is like kind of the middle of nowhere and was living in the woods and the forest and the wild weeds and, um, you know, the, the muffled sounds in the snow, in the evergreens, they, they really kind of welcomed me back and allowed me to heal my body and my mind and my nervous system. And, and it was there that the plants really of my youth, um, being born in Poland, growing up in between Poland and, and Wisconsin, but these plants of my great grandmother and my grandmother, the wild weeds, the nettles, these plants they had taught me about when I was really little, they came back to me and, and really healed me and, and, 
spending time in nature, uh, I began to really hear the plants talking and guiding me which plants I should be drinking. Um, and it was after, you know, years of trying to kind of repair some gut stuff and, and nervous system stuff um, from just real adrenal burnout that um, none of those things really had worked. And then suddenly the simple medicine of the earth, just the restorative wild weeds that are so abundant um, really brought back this deep amount of chi and, and vitality and connection and groundedness. And, you know, they kind of stitched me back together in a beautiful way. And so it was when I was living in Vermont that I also started to gather with some friends, just a few, there were, I think, three to five of us. And we would begin gathering on the new moon and the full moon. Mm. And, and beginning, it was kind of like, you know, you could, a woman's circle, you could call it very organic. Um, and we would, cast a circle. We would just speak our gratitudes. We would have a potluck. It was very um, organic. You know, it was just something we did as sisters, as, as women, as friends, but we were always doing it outside. And, and we would, even in the, you know, darkest winters in the snow, we would bring a candle outside and, and be under the stars and, and share our hearts with each other. And that rhythm and ritual began to work in me in ways that I think my mind couldn't understand. And, and it was also then that, you know, I began really tracking the moon cycle and, and sleeping in the darkness. And so my hormones and my moon time, you know, was really aligned with the moon. I was bleeding with the moon. I was gathering with the moon. I was looking up at the moon every day. And, and so these cycles of nature, just became really embedded in me. And, and through that, there was this awakening of, oh, this connects to my creativity. This connects to, to how I am in the world. This connects to how I can move my energy. Um, and around the same time, I, I was really interested in ecofeminism, in um, discovering her story, you know, not just history, the way that we're taught. But, but looking for more information about um, the history of the goddess and a book that I highly recommend and ask all my students to read is the book called um, The Chalice and the Blade. And mm. it's like, it's, it's written by a PhD. It's, it's kind of academic. It's, it's, you know, a little dense, but it's the history book that none of us read that we all, you know, it, it fills in these gaps and so with that as well, I started to understand what a witch was and, and understand that there was this depth of knowing in our bodies as, as female-bodied people, but also just as all gendered people who are connected to the earth. And so this kind of reclamation of this inherent deep relationship with the earth um, in this non-intellectual way began to emerge. And through that, I started to also understand that um, reclaiming the title witch was a way of healing some of the collective fear and shame and um, oppression that mid midwives, herbalists, you know, medicine people have experienced for, for generations. And so I think my first impulse was almost this impulse of an activist, 
of like, I am going to say that I'm a witch because I am, but I'm also going to say it loud because it's actually hard to, and there's some tension in me and there's a little bit of fear coming up and a little bit of like, oh, what will people think? And I started to actually use that cue in my body. Anytime there was something I wanted to share and that I could feel hesitancy, I could feel my throat chakra closing, my solar plexus kind of, oh, I don't know. I would check in and say, okay, what is the energy? What is the force that is that is playing a part in me holding back? And is it a force that comes from the patriarchy, from conditioning, from disempowerment? And if it is, then it's my duty. It's my, my I need to respond with, with fire, with courage, and with claiming it louder. And, and that process has allowed me to strengthen my voice and my fire and my courage and really expand my capacity as well. But those were some of, yeah, those were some of the early, early years as a witch. Yeah. That's powerful. I have tears in my eye. You got tears coming in my eye because I feel that same energy of mm -hmm. that hesitation, or you really want to say something and you want to connect fully but then there's a, a fear or maybe you're scared of how people will judge or maybe I'm scared of how people will judge me because it's not widely accepted in this culture that I live in. And when I, I remember getting off um, a boat in Brazil with the Huni Queen tribe and I just cried. Like all these tears just came out because I was able to be completely free. And, mm. you know, I, I was more home there than I am in the United States. And that brings me to my next question for you is, can it be harder for medicine people to find their path in America? You know, because there's no, there aren't a lot of medicine people openly practicing in just a community or in a neighborhood. You know, some people mm -hmm. feel weird even just kneeling down by the tree or giving a tree love and energy. And it's kind of considered woo-woo. And so I think people that feel that energy, like you're saying, that they they know that they're medicine people. And I'm sure so many of you listening, you listening right now, are likely a medicine person. And you may not be expressing all the way your medicine. And I think that wisdom that Marisha just shared is extremely powerful because it is so important right now in this time for us to have this freedom to express ourselves at 200%, whatever we feel from our heart, right? Whatever comes through us, to let it come through us and be shared and not, like you're saying from the patriarchy, feel that we can't or we'll be judged or we'll look weird or it's woo-woo, you know, because I think that has st that stopped me for a long time. I'm going to show up authentically mm. and stop stop being scared yeah of being judged well i love this question and and i was you know kind of thinking about it even when you first asked me to reflect on like when i first knew that i was a witch what i was thinking about and and i think you know what your question is really bringing up is something that i see a lot i've worked with thousands of people now decades and and a generalization that I feel is fair to make in our modern culture 
is that our modern culture is working against our solar plexus. Mm. And there is a huge um, unbalance collectively in the solar plexus of modern people. And that imbalance manifests in like excess too much solar energy in an unhealthy way, which can be narcissism. It can be self-centeredness, self-importance, a lack of connection to the web of life, a lack of humility, um, a lack of, um, yeah, just a lack of compassion and understanding that there are other ways of being, or it can be this deficiency of, of like, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not important. Um, my gift is not, you know, what is my gift to share? I don't even know what my gift is because I've been so conditioned to consume the same as everyone else, to behave the same as everyone else, to think I want the same things as everyone else. And, you know, the solar plexus is the seat of our power. And when we have a balanced solar plexus, we understand that true power is not power over someone or something. True power is the ability to change anything at will. And so it's that connection of the third eye and of our solar plexus and of our root, you know, of, of being able to be an agent of transformation and using our consciousness and our awareness. Um, and because our culture is sick, there is this excess solar plexus of like, we need to have power over. If I'm disempowered, then I need to make my voice louder and mute out others or power over the earth or power over other communities, other people. Truly empowered people, they don't need to feel power over someone else. They don't need to disempower others. That's not what happens when you are in your power. And, and again, that solar plexus is also the place where we connect to our inherent gift and our unique medicine, our unique nature. It's that teaching that, you know, none of us will ever be seen again. None of us can ever be replicated. And, and each of us have this duty, this like divine responsibility in our lifetime to get to know what our gift is, what is our medicine. And it's going to look different than anybody else's medicine. So comparison is, is like lethal to the solar plexus. And our culture is constantly trying to get us to compare ourselves to one another. Um, so that, you know, and I really also believe that in this time of, of you know, climate change and, and catastrophe, all of the answers to all of the problems actually reside inside of all of us. And, and if only we could each connect to our gift and our passion and our purpose and our own unique way of contributing and sharing our energy and being an agent of transformation. I, I truly believe I'm completely convinced we would be able to solve, you know, this, this whole crisis that we're in. Um, yeah. So is it harder for people to, to, fall in love with themselves in a healthy way, in a way where they are recognizing their interdependence upon the wheel of life and 
being of service to the earth that gives us everything. And I feel like there are a lot of medicine people in the United States that may not realize one, all the way that they are a medicine person, right? And you listening are likely a medicine person and to identify as a medicine person or a shaman or a goddess or a priestess, it can be a little harder for us to find that path and to, to acknowledge it and honor it. Um, and that's, you know, when you were talking about the circle that you were in and how that really helped you, I feel like that's the sangha, you know, of the medicine people that stay connected to help us stay on the path and keep our medicine strong. And so we don't have, I think women are getting, are getting better at circling together, which is amazing, but we don't have as many medicine circles and sanghas in, in the United States. We need that. We kind of need that. Well, what we also don't have in the United States is actually like a rootedness to elders. And, and I think that can also lead to a lot of chaos or illusion or unhealthy kind of expression because it's not rooted in um, community or in some wisdom tradition. You know, elders are really important. And, and it's, it's a, it's like a huge, we're, we're deeply impoverished in this culture to not have that. So I think when you're speaking about your own experience, I can also recognize, you know, people are not held by their elders. We don't necessarily have um, examples or role models of people who are true elders. You know, there's, there's the saying you can be old, but it doesn't mean you're an elder and being an elder, a true elder means that um, you have wisdom and that you are living with a responsibility to teach generations to come and to share your wisdom and to be a you know to guide others and to be able to be a bridge of that which was before and that which is yet to be and and so you know without that root it's easy for people who maybe do have an inherent gift to be medicine people you know to use your words but but without either a root to a teacher or a lineage, um, which like you said, is hard to find, mm -hmm. then it's like having a root to the earth and allowing the earth and the plants to teach you is I think a really great way to stay rooted and humble and, and to be guided by something that is greater than ourselves. Because otherwise there's a lot of kind of um, ego, and, and illusion and confusion, and it can cause harm. You know, it can cause a lot of harm. Definitely. Definitely. Plants are our greatest teachers, nature. And yeah, the, what you're saying about the seniors, that has been really hard. I feel like it's the forgotten voice. Like you said, we're very impoverished in that regard. So thank you for sharing that. When I was doing research on you were diving deeper before we were going to do this interview, and I love this blog that you had, Holy Days. And I love that. I love that name, Holy Days, instead of holidays. And it's been a little hard for me this winter. A lot of times in the Christmas, it can be a challenge. And so I'm grateful that you had that Holy Days. And so I don't know if you can share with the listeners maybe how we can shift from the holidays to more of the holy days or make this winter transition because soon will be the winter solstice 
make our winter more holy? I love that question. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's fun to kind of, you know, break apart that word holidays. And like you said, I did write it holy dash days. Um, and it can be beautiful to actually notice that underneath a lot of the um, traditions and ways of celebrating the holidays are some real beautiful pagan roots and, and reconnecting to those can bring back a sense of wonder and awe and magic and actual connection to nature and to our capacity to be agents of transformation and to move these cycles and energies of nature through our body and our hearts and our relationships in our homes. So, you know, the winter is a time of rest. It's, it's in the Northern hemisphere. That is, of course, it's the time when the days are the shortest, the nights are the longest. It's the most yin energy of the whole year. And, and there's a gravitational pull that we might be feeling to the listeners. You know, I don't know if you've been experiencing this, but for me, just the last like week or two, it's been harder to wake up in the morning when I, at my usual time, like my alarm is, I, I always wake up before my alarm. And now it's like, I'm like, Oh my God, I feel like I want to hibernate. You know, there's this gravity, this, this deep, like it's, it's that fertile void that is really drawing us in. And to me, spiritually, there's an opportunity for us to merge our consciousness with the consciousness of of the earth and the cosmos and this fertile void and it's almost like i i visualize it like spilling black ink it's like this dissolving of our mind and of our ego and and like who i am as a self and an individual and allowing ourselves to reach such deep states of restorative rest that we enter those deeper brain waves when we're sleeping like the delta brain waves where we're not dreaming, we're not thinking, we're not identifying, and we're actually humming at this frequency of the dreaming earth. And, you know, scientifically, when we're in the Delta brainwaves, our body begins to produce the human growth hormone. And it's when we're actually healing and repairing cells. And so there's this beautiful kind of parallel between the spiritual teaching and a lot of mystery traditions and between science and our bodies, where it's through rest that we regenerate. And of course, our culture is one where like, is always trying to get us to caffeinate and to go and be out there and work and push and do more. And the holidays, the way they're celebrated, you know, are annoyingly taking us away from like the yumminess of winter because it's like time to be social. I mean, my goodness, the amount of like holiday things I've been at last week, it's crazy. That's summer energy for us to like be going out of the house and networking and connecting and feasting. Like that's solar summer energy that's really natural when the gardens are bountiful, when the days are long, when we're needing to be working in order to create more food. But now is the time where ancestrally and, and spiritually and physically having more solitude, more quiet, more rest, more non-doing allows us to slip into these non-linear states of consciousness that fill in and help us be more whole. And so I feel like the winter is this time, this precious time 
And I always give January. I dedicate January to this because I just know that it's not going to be possible in November and December because the holidays, it's like, it's just not going to be possible. So January for me and for the school and all my apprentices, the theme of January for us is rest and dream. And that's when we're like, okay, if I couldn't really drop into the winter portal, like for the last, you know, the whole three months from November to January, then let me really dedicate January to my rest and to dreaming and working with herbs that open the dreaming mind with consciousness shifting plants like blue lotus that we'll talk about and and really prioritizing rest befriending boredom really trying to shift our mm. consciousness so that we can be more vast and slow and from that place we are changed there's it's like as if we're seated it's like as if spirit plants a seed when we can become that fertile void. And that seed is something that we begin to feel awaken around in bulk and, you know, February. And, and it begins to kind of crescendo and grow as we come into the spring equinox. And there's a whole new wave of creativity and, and like a new gift often that is born come late spring and summer if we allow ourselves to kind of dissolve our own ideas of what we want to create and, and who we are and allow ourselves to dissolve into the mysteries in the winter. So that's some of the energy that's present for us. And what's beautiful is to remark that the festivals of, of Hanukkah and Christmas at their root, they actually have that energy. The, you know, Jesus being born, whether you believe that it happened or not, it's a story of the son, the son of God, right? The son, S-O-N-S-U-N, of the universe, of the cosmic womb, being born, this, this little spark of light amidst the darkness. And in the winter solstice, you can imagine our ancestors were making offerings and prayers and meditating and, and songs and like summoning the energy of the sun back because we need the sun in order for there to be another, you know, wave of growth of plant life of food, you know, by, by the time the winter solstice is here, you can imagine that their reserves of food was getting sparse. And so that longing from the body, the, the primordial need for the sun to come back was strong. And so these rituals of the solstice were, were these rituals of summoning the light and keeping it alive. Hanukkah, this festival of lights, you're keeping the flame alive. The stories of Hanukkah is like the miracle of this lamp, right? It's, it's the miracle in darkness. It's the miracle of the flame amidst the darkness. Jesus is like this newborn energy, this innocent, delicate flame. And it's our job to keep it alive and stoke it so it can grow in strength. So those beautiful energies of, of innocence, of miracles, of faith, exist in these celebrations that have become, um, you know, standard and at their root have a way of feeding the holy in nature, of, of 
feeding these cycles of regeneration. I love that. I love the holy days. It really resonates with me what you're saying about going within, being still and not thinking because, you know, being a working mom and of course having a business that there's a lot of thinking. And I realized that I just want to feel like, I just want to be like, roots in the earth. I just Mm. want my mind to go to sleep (laughs) and I want my heart to open up. So it's kind of like the heart, the light energy to open up and the feel and be receptive and not to think. And it's so funny because all the things are like, and what are your goals? I just want us to breathe and drop into our body and to feel. And that is what is speaking to me so much right now. So when you were talking about that, it was really resonating with me. And I do think that's why it is a little challenging for us, you know, to, to be like, oh, we're going to do all these things and, and make cookies and do this and do that. And I've just realized, well, actually I don't have to do any of that. I just going to take Anna Rose out in nature more. And I'm going to maybe do like one really nice thing, like make a really purposeful ornament or something, but I'm not going to have to have all these things checked off that I feel like I have to do for the holidays because they really are the holy days. So I appreciate you sharing that blog post. And I really deeply believe that when we guide ourselves into those places and allow ourselves to go there, um, again, our creativity is seeded by something greater than our own mind and ego. Mm. And, And so it's critical, it's critical. And it's actually not that easy to guide ourselves into those places because we have all these voices being like, well, what have you gotten done today? Or, or our addiction patterns, right? Like of the phone, you know, oh, to give gosh. yourself a true day of rest would probably mean not checking Instagram or the phone or the email, but like, my goodness, aren't we all addicted to just picking up our phone? So it actually is hard, you know, it's really hard, but out of the whole year, this is such a good time to, to really create that for ourselves. Mm. Yes. I love that. Not taking the phone. I've noticed in my life where when I stop and I just stop trying to do things come more naturally, or if I do the meditation outside, then things come, my day just flows naturally. And one day I had epiphany. I was like, it's not that I don't have enough time to meditate or maybe do Kundalini yoga. It's that there isn't enough time for me not to do it. Like Mm -hmm. I have to get quiet because otherwise I am being, I'm moving around by all these other forces and not my innate wisdom and intuition. I'm not being a conduit for things to come through and everything's just messy. I'm trying to honor that. So I want to go back to sleep and we mentioned the blue lotus and you have a relationship with the blue lotus and this is an herb that just recently came into my life and so i'm very thankful that um, you're here to talk to us about your connection with blue lotus and so can you share with the listeners blue lotus like what is blue lotus and her medicine um and the energetics of Blue Lotus. And maybe once you're done with that, maybe you could guide us through connecting with it. Because here's the thing, this is so funny, that I have this jar of Blue Lotus that was gifted to me and I have not made a tea with it yet. And I have not 
done anything with it yet. And so I would love to hear, you know, if you have a suggestion um, for the first time connecting with her. Absolutely. I would love to. Yeah. Well, it's so sweet because when you said um, earlier, you said, you know, I just want to like have my mind quiet and my heart expand. And as soon as you said that, I was chuckling to myself because I was like, that's what Blue Lotus does. So I want to also just honor and name that, mm-hmm. you know, this plant has found you, the plants find us exactly when they're meant to. And I love that, you know, this plant, I think also was what inspired us to connect because it was through you, Blue Lotus coming into your sphere that you also reached out to me. And so just wanting to honor, honor the magic of this plant um, and your own, you know, what's already in you that's magnetizing this, this beautiful being. So Blue Lotus is this incredible um, flower and it's often dried. You can, you can have the dried lotus flowers and it's a plant that has been used for thousands and thousands of years as a sacrament, um, as a plant by the Egyptians, very holy to the Egyptians, as a plant also used in ritual by the Maya people. And it's a plant that has incredible medicinal properties does incredible things physically to the body but even more than that has this incredible spirit and consciousness and energy and way of shifting our consciousness Hmm. so we work with the blue lotus she is a consciousness shifter so our nervous system begins to shift and we get out of that beta brainwaves, the like, and then I have to do this and everything softens and our creativity opens and our consciousness expands. You know, even the lotus flower, right, is so connected to the upper chakras and and you feel your crown chakra opening. You feel your brain kind of shifting. And and this is a plant that's completely safe to use. It's non-psychotropic. When I'm talking about consciousness shifting, um, you know, this is a very safe plant that you can have a tea, a meditation, and then, you know, continue to be a mother and do all of your other things, probably even better. Right. So it's not like, um, you know, it's not like, um, getting high or anything like that. Um, but it shifts the consciousness. It, it shifts your brainwaves and it opens up the creative body, gets us those alpha brainwaves that are so healing to parts of us that have been depleted by stress, opens up the theta brainwaves that are really, the place where we do shamanic journeying and it opens the third eye, the crown, the heart chakra, huge heart opener. It connects us with our womb space. If we're born into a female body or our sacral chakra, regardless of our gender, it's an aphrodisiac and it has this root, right? Like the blue Lotus grows in these dark murky waters and, and is connected to this fertile darkness, this living dark water. What's incredible is that this plant is a plant that connects us to regeneration and rebirth. And it has been used in rituals of rebirth and regeneration for thousands of years. Every single morning, the Lotus emerges from the dark mucky waters and it blooms. And 
everyone that's listening should definitely Google to see what it looks like. It's the most beautiful flower you've ever seen. It has gorgeous shades of iridescent purples and royal blues. And at the center, it has the most gorgeous golden yellow radiant center. And so it's as if from the darkness, from this fertile womb, you know, that the waters of our planet, the mineral waters, this these murky, mysterious waters, comes this being that emanates the sun and that brings consciousness. And so even the creation myths of Egypt are that the whole world before there was any life, any plant matter, any humans was just a planet, a, a, a planet of dark water. And from that dark water emerged the blue lotus and mm. the sun was born and life was born. And so traditionally blue lotus was used with the pharaohs in ceremonies and offerings by the priestesses of Isis. It's a plant that holds that energy of Osiris of rebirth. It's a plant that was consumed as a euphoric to induce shamanic states, to um, to be buried with the pharaohs so they could be accompanied on this bridge of life to the afterlife and, and to rebirth. And there are ways that you can work with Blue Lotus internally to help you really access deep states of meditation, to help you with your shamanic journeying, and to help really open your heart and connect you to the consciousness of, of the fertile void, of dream time, of the earth, of your own deep mysteries. So my favorite way of working with Blue Lotus is to make a hot infusion, an overnight infusion. And so the way you would do that is you could take like one or two flowers or about a handful if, if you have just the petals and you would put it in a quart size mason jar and top it off with hot water from the kettle put the lid on it so that the vapors and the steam wouldn't evaporate and leave it overnight. And having an infusion that's been infusing for several hours, you can also put it in the moonlight. It really just gets a lot of the deep medicine extracted into the water. And then at sunrise, you can meditate with this plant. I recommend you know, doing whatever you do to create sacred space for yourself. So maybe burning some blessing herbs, some incense, putting on some meditation music, a candle, you know, really grounding your energy, opening your heart, because you're about to meet this being, this consciousness that is, you know, comes from outside of you and, and is um, from the earth and is prehistoric. The blue lotus is millions of years old. So when you're ingesting this plant or even connecting to the spirit of it without even drinking it in, you're connecting to a consciousness that has been on this planet for so much longer than you. Mm. And it has an intelligence and a wisdom and an energy of adapting to these many life, death, rebirths of the planet. And it has this mm. incredible spirit. So grounding your body, can opening your heart. And then, you know, warming up your tea would be nice in the winter months because it's nicer to drink something that's a little warmer. And I always guide my students in the plant spirit meditation. And, and so, you know, to kind of describe what that process looks like, it again begins with creating sacred space, grounding, 
um, having your tea, meditation music is really helpful. Closing your eyes and beginning to breathe in and smell the, the exhale of this plant and allowing yourself to just begin connecting just by opening your senses and you know, opening the sense of smell and welcoming in the spirit of blue lotus, really becoming humble in your heart and acknowledging that you are receiving the body of this plant and this being and mm. inviting in the wisdom and the message and the medicine of this mm. plant. And then sipping slowly or at whatever pace your body is calling to drink it in and keeping your eyes closed and spending about 20 minutes of just drinking and breathing and noticing how the energy of the plant moves through your body. Where does it go? And, and really just with your eyes closed and with your breath deepening, really just kind of opening your body and relaxing it to receive and, and following, following the sips, noticing, you know, does this, like, where is it going? Which energy center, which chakra? Am I feeling it in my belly? Ooh, am I feeling my breath expanding? You know, whatever it might be. And from that place, once you've really kind of noticed where you're feeling it, how it's shifting, at that point, I call in the spirit of the plant and I ask the spirit of the plant to, to meet me, to enter, to greet me. And um, and I begin to commune with the spirit. I, I ask, mm. you know, for it to show itself to me in some way, you know, with my eyes closed and in my imagination. And I begin to, you know, at that point, it's really often guided by the plant spirit itself, but you can ask for a message, you can ask for a hands-on healing, and just, again, notice um, what this plant is, is gifting you. Mm. From there, I guide my students into journaling and just writing down their experience. There's often a whole new wave of information that comes through when we journal immediately after a plant spirit meditation. It's also a good way of kind of gathering what we've received and allowing it to come into the more linear parts of our brain so we can integrate it. Um, yeah. And, and then when I'm teaching, you know, that's when I'll then have students share. And then from there, mm -hmm. I'll talk about the plant and her properties. So really kind of guiding people first into connection. You know, the, the apprenticeship program that I teach is so much about helping people develop a relationship and an intimacy with the plants so they can learn directly from the plants and through their body. It's a very kind of almost like a tantric form of herbalism and, and plant communication. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. When I, when I infuse her, I will do it overnight and then I will drink it in the morning. Does it matter if you drink it in the morning versus night or because it's supposed to help induce dreaming? Okay. Yeah, you can drink whenever. Drinking it before going to bed is really beautiful too. I find that for myself, it's often easiest to connect to plant spirits, especially like a new plant spirit that you're meeting for the first time. Kind of like, especially maybe, you know, you mentioned you're a mom. So like that morning time before the house is up and everyone's awake. Yeah. Um, and also something about like slipping out of dream time where you can kind of um, help yourself by using that energy of just emerging into the day, you still have kind of some feet in those deeper states of consciousness. 
And if you kind of set everything up so that, you know, you wake up and you don't check your phone, which takes us like straight into beta brainwaves, but you just wake up and you have your tea there and your candle. And and it's almost like you just get out of bed and sit and then it'll help you. It'll help you kind of access those deeper states of consciousness easier. I think by the end of our day, we're often so tired. (laughs) We have so much on our mind you know, that it can be really relaxing to drink Blue Lotus. It's beautiful to drink it in the evening because it will help you with your dreams. It will help you relax. It can be also really nice to drink Blue Lotus kind of in that afternoon time when you want to switch into a more relaxed, you know, aphrodisiac yummy energy. And some people will have like a cocktail, right, at the end of the workday to get their body to relax but you can, instead of having a cocktail, you can drink blue lotus. Blue lotus also is an antispasmodic. So mm. it relaxes the muscles in the body, giving you that kind of physical relaxation that, you know, some people reach for um, alcohol for, and it'll shift again, it'll shift your consciousness. It'll get you in a more relaxed state. So definitely those afternoon evening hours are beautiful. The sunrise is a beautiful time. Any time of day is great. Um, and the plant has incredible medicinal properties. It's a heart tonic. Um, it's it's a really wonderful plant for circulation, for the brain, for as an aphrodisiac, for the reproductive system. But I always recommend that folks don't work with her, like for her medicinal properties, because there are so many other plants that are really abundant, um, that are not endangered that have all of those properties you know there's so many wild weeds and adaptogens that you can get that are really sustainable and abundant and and i think connecting with blue lotus as a sacrament um for shamanic journeying for meditation for deep spiritual connection to like really go into a deeper state with questions you may have or a prayer or you know more in that ritual way is what i recommend that is wise to connect with it, to go deeper, to go mm. into the depths of the dark, dark mud. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm excited. Or Lotus. <laughs> yes, I'm so grateful. My friend Joanna gifted this to me. So I'm very grateful. And thank you for sharing that. And I'll have to make the overnight infusion and connect with her and let you know. Um, Beautiful. Yes. Yeah, I have some really gorgeous blue lotus that's available on my shop um, in case folks who are listening are wondering where they can get it. And I actually have white lotus and pink lotus as well. Um, and it's it comes from a beautiful person who grows it in Sri Lanka. It's a plant that's native to the Nile in Egypt and unfortunately is, is extinct there. So right now the cultivars typically come from Sri Lanka, Thailand, Hawaii. Wow. Um, but I have a really beautiful source and work directly with a really lovely farmer. And so if folks are wondering where they can get a, a nice source, um, they can check it out on my on my website. Thank you. I will put a link to it too in the show notes. So if you're listening, go to the show notes and click the link. And that would be a wonderful gift to, to yourself and to anyone that you know that would like to connect with the Blue Lotus. Um, so winter solstice is right around the corner. Do you have anything planned for winter solstice? Are you going to you know, journey by yourself, meditate or what is I haven't decided yet. Okay. I love it. I have like a few, I've been kind of feeling into it. Um, it has felt like such a busy last week and there's been all these wonderful holiday celebrations. Um, but I've kept tomorrow 
clear of any commitments. Mm. Um, and I want to make sure that I have some deep time and some time alone. And I am going to be actually working in a garden tomorrow, which I'm really excited about. Um, I have, I have a client, um, in a gorgeous medicine garden and I did, you know, decide to go in and work in the garden, which will be beautiful to just be able to be on deeply, you know, connected to the earth and the plants and, and giving them love and, and offerings as I tend to that garden. Um, but in the evening, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for carving out this time during these holy days to spend an hour and to share with the listeners your deep wisdom and you embody so much beauty. You know, I feel like everything is just feel all the beautifulness of the world is filtering through you. So thank you for letting it do that, for giving yourself space for everything to come through you and to share with us and to share with the listeners. So thank you. And it was very nice to meet you. Thank you so much, April. It was so sweet to connect with you and to share and feel the plants that love you in your being and in your heart and your beautiful gifts shared with the world as well. (laughs) Thank you. And how can people get in touch with you? What is the best way to connect with you? People can go to my website, schoolofthesacredwild.com. I teach a 10-month long apprenticeship that begins every September and takes folks through the wheel of the year. We work with plants that connect us to the energies of each month and season that begins in September and ends in June and registration for the next one opens again in June. Um, And then I also am on Instagram. Um, It's my name, which is very long and complicated. So checking how it's spelled is probably the best thing. Um, And then I'm also um, the formulator of a beautiful organic skincare line that's called Sacred Ritual, R-I-T-U-E-L. Um, and that's, we're on Instagram or on our website, sacredritual.com. Um, and that's a beautiful anti-aging, um, incredible face serum that I make that's infused with thousands of different flowers and healing herbs and cold pressed raw superfood organics oils. Um, it's incredible. So if folks want a discount code, I'd be happy to give them one. Um, you can use the discount code sacred wild 20 to get 20% off. Ooh. And I'd love to send you some so you can try it. I Ooh. think you'll love it. <laughs> I and, love that. Yeah. And yeah. lastly, I have a book that folks can read and you can get it on my website or on Amazon or all those places. The book is called the witches herbal apothecary rituals and recipes for a year of earth magic and sacred medicine making. I love those offerings and thank you so much for the discount. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. So definitely go to the show notes and click on the wonderful offerings by Marisha. And thank you again for your time. And hopefully we can connect again in 2024. I would love that. Thank you, April. I know you enjoyed that episode with Marisha as much as I did. Please share the episode with your friends and have... Happy holidays. Be well. Bye.